Welcome to The Whole Truth, where two wholesalers help financial professionals build great practices and thrive in a rapidly changing industry. We'll bring you the stories and voices from those on the front lines of this change, and we'll have some fun along the way. This is more than a podcast. We're building a community of financial professionals who are growing, forward-thinking, and want to get better. Thanks for listening and contributing to the discussion. The views expressed herein are those of the participants and not those of Touchstone Investments. And welcome, everybody, to The Whole Truth from the Bay Area, California. I am Steve Side. And from Atlanta, Georgia, I'm Kurt Dupuy. I like how you say that. I am. Like like you're an Avenger or something. Each time I say, did I sound like an Avenger? I guess that's a compliment. I'm, I'm trying to figure out like different inflections to that intro, you know? Because sometimes I hear it, I'm Change like- Change the cadence. Up, sometimes huh? I don't like myself based on my inflection, so I'm trying different inflections. Although that could just be, you know, the massive head wound I just had, which I wanted to mention to you on- what? <laughs> so I had, I mean, it's it's nothing big. I like how you subtly throw that in there. Yeah. Well, I, I massive, yeah. subtle brain trauma. No big it deal. It wasn't anything. I, it's like, I don't want to, it's a really stupid story. But um, so I'm outside, I'm working on my house. And this is really the dumbest story. My, my house, <laughs> it, you know, it's a 1950s, it's built in. And I only mention that because it's got these weird, dangerous overhangs. And when I say dangerous, it's not like, Oh, the overhang is just above your head. Like there are parts to my house that will take you out by the neck. You know what I'm saying? Just ridiculous. They wouldn't build them like this anymore. Because people were like six feet exactly. tall in the 50s or something. <laughs> exactly. They were only sold to short 1950s people. But it's just like oddly dangerous. So I'm working on my house. I don't even want to tell you what I ran away from, but something happened and I made a sudden move. You're going to, what did you, you got, you, it's no, so you, stupid, you have to tell me. Dude. Like, well, that's why I want to hear oh it. Oh my God. I can't believe I'm telling this on a podcast. So I, I was I was messing with the timer on my sprinklers. So the sprinklers go on and it hit me. Oh my God, water, right? Like I couldn't take a little <laughs> sprinkler. It's ridiculous. <laughs> I thought you were going to say like a bee or no, a wasp. No, no, like, no. Okay, I'm well, that's, cool. that's a little prissy, but it's, it's even it's worse wor- than that. It's way it's worse water. than that. I'm actually very symbiotic <laughs> with the bees. You know, I'm cool with the bees now. I actually like them. <laughs> Muy simpatico. I, I don't know why everybody told me when I was young to run away from bees. Bees are cool. Anyway, so uh, so I go turn to run away from the sprinkler. And when I tell you I smashed into an overhang in my house, I'm telling you like <laughs> impact and force. And so I'm sitting there. Did it lay you out? Oh, dude, major impact. So you, when that happens, wow. you know you've hit something really hard. You don't know what. You don't know if you have a concussion. I mean, I'm talking like right into it, okay? This is- Concussion, we're talking- We're talking- You potentially concussed. I, I am surprised I did not have a concussion, like very surprised. So, because wow. that's originally what I thought was going on because I was just like, you know, something happens, you have a trauma, you're taking stock and you're like, you don't know what's happening. And so, okay, do I have a concussion? Like, or am I hurt? And then I don't know, this is going to be gross to everybody on here, but there is a lot of blood in your head. I don't know if you know this because <laughs> so things get weird. I'm telling you the amount of blood, like like just you realize, you, you look at your hands and it's just covered and you feel the top of your head and it's like, I don't want to tell you what it feels like, but it was like not connected, okay? That'd make me queasy. Really, really rough stuff. So- I, you know, I call, I call my wife. I'm like Becky hospital. She's like, what? You know, I had the towel on my head. We didn't want to l- look at it, but I'm just like, I think this is bad, but you don't know how bad. So you're driving to the hospital. 
And so you don't know. So I, I they dropped me off at the emergency room and the nurse like, let me see it. And I'm judging how bad this is based on the reaction that I get from said nurse. Yeah. And she looks at it. And this is what she, she goes, Ooh, you got yourself pretty good there. <laughs> and I'm like, um, you know, I haven't looked at it. Like, I don't know how I would take like an ER nurse. Like they see some stuff, right? But you have no way to gauge. That's right. Like if your neighbors saw it, they would probably pass out. Right. But a nurse in the, in the, in the ED, it's like, oh yeah, that's, that's a pretty good one. Good job. Yeah. And, and it's <laughs> sort of like, she was like, Ooh, you know, like, and so then I got to interpret, okay, she's saying something, how bad is it? So they put me back in the waiting room. I've got the towel over my head. And then the doctor comes in and just essentially says like, pretty bad cut. Like we got to give you these, these staples as long as you can fix it. So what's interesting, what's going on in hospitals these days is like, I guess they don't, you know, you can't even get a Tylenol out of these people because of how bad, like the opiate epidemic is and the painkiller thing. And so they don't want to give anybody anything. Really? So literally like they didn't numb me. They didn't give me any. And I'm like, it hurts, man. I'm, when I'm telling you this hurts, it hurt like your head split open. And so that, that baffles me. Listen, this is an, this is anecdotal, but this is the way that I'm observing it. Yeah. Right? So they the nurse comes in and says, okay, we got to clean it before we do the staples, but I don't want to touch that until the doctor numbs you up. Okay, fine. Doctor comes in. Oh, we're not going to numb you up, just w but whatever. So long story short, they didn't do anything but clean me without any kind of numbness and just stapled, stapled it. No numbness. Like seven- Nothing. Seven staples in my head. Just- Not even a shot of whiskey nothing. just to, to take the edge off. Oh, so, gosh. Uh, yeah, anyways, that was my story. Everything's good. It's healing up fine. Um, but but you're still alive. You seem to be coherent, so that's yeah, good. Yeah, it, it, just a really dumb, <laughs> dumb, dumb, dumb thing. Well, yeah, so after you get the head stapled up, then the reality of having to tell this story dozens of times starts to creep into your the forefront and be like, oh my goodness, what am I gonna, I'm never going to live this what down. What am I going to tell people that I do, you know, saving and something heroic? No. I ran fast away from water. That's what happened. Water was chasing me from. But I'm all good. I got an excuse to wear a hat uh, in meetings for uh, for a little while, which is really what I want to do anyway. So there you go. Um, but I'm all good. Thank you for letting me tell my story. All right. <laughs> Thank you for the giggles. Yeah, we we've got James uh, Pollard on the show this week. Yes. Uh, very very good discussion. Kurt will introduce him in a moment. Really enjoyed that interview. But I wanted to talk, if I could, Kurt, for a couple of minutes here. There was a Cerulli study that came out on the value of advice. And I have four statistics. I did not tell you I was going to be quizzing you on this, but I'm going to. This is the percentage of advisor-reliant clients believe that the advice they are receiving is worth the price. So you're going to advisor's clients. You're paying X percent. What percentage do you think is worth it multiple choice or are we sitting over under or what how we went okay i'll do prices right I'll do over under 70 percent. i'm gonna go over 82 percent. you're exactly right oh, yes despite seemingly continuous warnings about the pricing pressure in the wealth management space investors willingness to engage in paid advice relationship has increased substantially in recent years so Listen, I think you're probably getting some upside because people that pay the price, 
of of advice, probably a lot of them think it's worth it. Um, so if you brought this out to the general population, this probably comes down some. But most people feel like they're getting a good value of it. So this idea that we've got to cut fees to zero just doesn't bear out in the numbers. Well, and we've talked about that conclusion that no, if you, if 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 you are valuable to people, you articulate that value. But but that just says to me it's it's less of a pain point than most people think it is. Yeah. Because I I thought that number would be over seventy, but I would not have been surprised if it was under seventy. If it's you know like a fifty fifty call, but yeah, I pay my guy a percent, but I, I don't think I'm getting a percent worth. I, I I could see people coming to that conclusion, but I think as the industry has really reinforced telling people what you're doing for them, tell, tell them why you're worth what you are charging. I have to assume that message is being heard and being articulated to clients, which probably helps that number. Yeah. And I just think if you can't communicate your value in a way that justifies the average industry fee, come talk to us and we'll help you sort of get a hold of that. And I don't say that sort of off the cuff. There's a lot of people that struggle with value proposition, but no, you know, listen, you guys are earning your fees, no doubt about it. So if you communicate, you're clear about it, shouldn't be an issue. Okay, here's another one for you. Second one. Percent of affluent investors who feel somewhat secure in their retirement. So these are the people that said, I'm secure in my retirement, or I'm mostly secure. I feel pretty good about it. These are affluent investors. So what percentage would you guess? I won't give you an over-under here on this one, unless you really want one. So I'm I'm counterintuitively, I'm going to say the minority, but I only say that because I'm thinking that it kind of doesn't matter how much you have. A lot of people tend to want more. I'm going to say 30% of affluent people. It's more than that. So 59% feel secure. 59. Okay. But that, listen, some of these of the 59% are working with financial professionals right now. Right. And affluent suggests like they're, they're not scraping by, right? Um, yet they still don't have security. Yep. Yeah. The fact that that number's not in the 80s or 90s. Yeah. I, 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 yeah, that's that's wild. And, All right, what else? And I'll, uh, I'll go through these relatively quickly because I already took up our entire intro with my head wound story, but let me just read a couple of stats with you, which I think are interesting. You're actually drooling too, right? Like there's drool, <laughs> drool starting to come out of your I, mouth. I have no sense of time anymore. I've lost <laughs> the sense of time. That was one of the things I lost with that crash. Um, 80% of investors express satisfaction with their advisor. That's a high number. That's a high number. Yeah. And then the second part of this, which is the last statistic I'll read for you, only 10% of investors plan to switch, which is interesting. These are, I, I would not have guessed those numbers. So, um, you know, what this study is suggesting is you want to get with them early and things like that because most people are pretty satisfied with their advisors. I don't know how much there is to draw from that data, just and that's a little bit higher than I might have guessed. So the takeaways are find clients early. Yeah. So these are some uh, some interesting things. Again, if you want to see the full summary, I just kind of cherry-picked a couple of statistics off this. The report's called The Value of Advice. I should say, by the way, I'm going to give credit to our friend Doug from Oakland. And yes, we're going to start naming people on this show. I'm going to talk about this more next time. I want community members that participate a lot to have- You're going to name names? I, I don't want to say their last names. I don't know why we've chosen not to say their last names, but we can do things like, you know, Doug from Oakland or Rick from Orinda, like people that sure. always kind of chip in. Like, So anyways, I'm not going to expand on that, but that's going to be more part of the show. So thank you, Doug, for passing along this study. So with that, Kurt, probably best to introduce our guest. 
Yeah, so I first came in touch with James Pollard, I think from his podcast. Uh, and then I quickly found his website, which is theadvisorcoach.com. He's got tons of material. You know, he's got podcasts, blog posts. He's got different packages because as we found out, because I didn't know this, he kind of, he's like a recovering coach. He used to do one-on coaching and now he just puts together kind of these bundles, uh, it, which is which is his business that that he runs. Where I am most impressed with this guy, because I've been signed up for his newsletter for 12 to 18 months. He sends an email every day and there's always a cool anecdote to talk about what he's doing. And I just know as a person that sends a lot of emails, that takes a lot of work and a lot of creativity and really a wide base of knowledge. So really impressed with that. And I think a lot of his expertise is in the email marketing space, which he talks a little bit about. Uh, but he also talked about being the Hulk in your niche. So he's really big on developing your niche and then taking over it. And we also talk about a few things uh, about digital marketing. Most importantly, if you have zero footprint on LinkedIn or on online or any kind of social, how to get started, which I think a lot of people will find useful because a lot of the people that we talk to don't have much of a social presence. So kind of some ideas and tips on how to get started there. So really a great chat. We're really fortunate that he was uh, so liberal with his time with us. So up next, our interview with James Pollard. All right, and welcome back to The Whole Truth. We're here with Mr. James Pollard. Really excited to have you on, James, uh, both to learn more about your business and what you do, but also kind of see how that intersects with um, how that can help our clients and the financial professionals with which we work. So um, I don't think I will do a better job of introducing yourself. So I'm going to ask you to give us your background. But I came across your stuff months ago, and if nothing else, I've been impressed with the fact that you send out emails every day, but I know you do a lot more than that. So tell us about The Advisor Coach. Well, so I am the founder of a company called The Advisor Coach. The website's theadvisorcoach.com. Also the host of Financial Advisor Marketing Podcast. I got a lot of different projects, different things. You mentioned the email thing. I, I have been emailing daily for years. I am fairly well known for my emails. I probably have the biggest email list in financial services. Love what I do and just have a ton of fun. How did this get started? How did you even know there was a need there? You know, what? Where did this come from? That's a really good question, and I'm. I think you're one of the only people who have asked me. How did you identify the need? You have to think about it this way: in the financial advisor, financial planning, financial services industry, you have a failure rate of, depending on the study you read, anywhere from eighty to ninety percent in the first three years. So that hasn't changed. The sales and marketing training is still the same. And those stats have got to go up now that people are working from home and everything's virtual or whatever. It, it just, it blows my mind and it blew my mind at the time to just come across that stat because I was friends with a lot of financial advisors. I was involved in the world and I saw that and I was like, well, I'm pretty darn good at the marketing. So let me work with people one-on-one. -on -one. And that's why the business is called The Advisor Coach. So got results with individuals, more individuals. And I was like kind of sort of don't like the coaching thing. So I decided to pack everything up and productize the information. And now I have a business where I can reach more advisors at a lower cost. I have a ton of content that's available for free. I mean, you can't get lower cost than that. So it now, hopefully with my effort, the dropout rate or failure rate isn't so high. I haven't heard of a lot of coaches that have 
come from it from that type of entry point. That's actually pretty refreshing. Um, so let's just get into some of the marketing stuff. That's where we really want to spend time with yeah. you. And one of the things that you talk about is the idea of having multiple marketing strategies as a philosophy, as being sort of a core philosophy. Can you talk about that a little bit? It's important that you said it is a philosophy because it truly is. If you are a financial advisor, you're probably using maybe three or four, if that, marketing strategies in your business. And even if you're using those marketing strategies, they're likely not talking with each other. They're not reinforcing each other. If you stack multiple marketing strategies on top of each other, it becomes so much more effective because there's an overwhelming body of evidence to support that the majority of appointments are set and the the majority of clients are converted after like the fifth to 12th touch, whether that be email, phone, LinkedIn, seminar, webinar, whatever. The, the idea behind multiple marketing strategies is the fact that you can't just call the same person five to six times with the same message. It just doesn't work. And that's one of the reasons why when I say that the failure rate was so high, it was because that type of thinking was pushed. It's like, oh yeah, the money's in the follow-up. Yes, which is true, but you can't follow up the same way, the same time. It, so when you have a LinkedIn profile, if someone Googles your name or your company name, the top two places are going to look at your website and your LinkedIn profile. Well, why not integrate your LinkedIn profile with your website? Something magical happens, just as an example. When someone gets to your website, they read about you. Maybe there's a blog. Maybe they're call to action. They see that little LinkedIn button. They click on it. They go to your profile. They see that you're a real person. Maybe they can connect. It's just so much more effective than just one marketing strategy trying to get everyone on the first or second try. Yeah. So it's, I mean, your point here is like, you, if you had multiple strategies, maybe they didn't necessarily talk to each other, so to speak, and you want it to be one ecosystem that sort of feeds off of each other. Is that a fair interpretation? Correct. Because Got it. here's another example. Let's say you're running paid ads to a webinar. Uh, there are a lot of financial advisors who are hopping on the webinar train because it's, it's something that's new and exciting for them, even though it's been around for uh, over a decade at this point. So, well, there's a certain segment of the audience, of, of the your audience and the population that you're targeting, quite simply not going to respond to a paid ad. You also have people like me who block ads and they're not going to see them. So like I'm not being tracked by Google. We learned that off air because I used a brave browser. <laughs> so by definition, I am not going to be someone who converts on a Google display ad because I'm literally not getting them. I don't see them. So I will never ever convert on one of those. But if you ha send out a little postcard, a little handwritten note, and you say, hey, I know we talked two months ago. I'm actually doing this webinar. You, the link is xyz.com slash ABC. Very easy. That's another touch point that not only increases your follow-up, which statistically increases your chances of getting a client, but B, gives you a chance to get someone who wouldn't have converted otherwise. Like in my case, I wouldn't have converted at all with an ad, but with a note, there's a chance. You know what, Kurt, I want to continue get going down the path of marketing, but I, I think one of the things we've learned from James and our and our editor before this is I think me and you are just sheep that just get tracked by everybody because they're like, well, I don't use this browser. And like everything they said they don't use is exactly what I use. Yeah. So clearly we need some more coaching beyond the marketing stuff here, but continue. We need we need tech coaching for sure. Well, and, and James, that's I don't know if I don't know if I've heard anyone articulate it that way. 
the idea of stacking them on top of each other and using them to talk to each other, I think is really interesting. And that's, I think that's, that's clearly the way of the future rather than doing seminars and LinkedIn, which may or may not talk to each other. Um, but somehow finding a way to integrate those. Um, another thing I've heard you talk a fair bit about is you talk about value and the cost of things, but you also give a ton away and you articulate that you're giving stuff away. So, I, I, I mean, I've heard you say like you give 90% of the stuff away for free. And I even have seen that your newsletter, which is like subscription only, the first month, you also give that away. So I'm just curious why that is. Well, th that is opening a can of worms for me because I also have like a podcast episode, like the four letter word I despise and free is that word. It, <laughs> free is free is like a stick of dynamite because it can be very powerful if you use it correctly, but it's also extremely devastating if it's used incorrectly. Same thing with like any real powerful tool. People typically use free incorrectly where they think just because they give a bunch away for free or just because they create content, they're going to get a ton of clients. It almost never works and they end up frustrated. The key is to, you have the free content with like a next step. It's always, that's the multiple marketing strategies thing again. You're always moving to the next thing. In my video ads, in the first 15 seconds of the video ad, I make sure I say, if you don't know me, my name is James Pollard. I'm the host of Financial Advisor Marketing, the podcast. We have more than 100 episodes designed to help financial advisors get more clients. I make sure I put that in the first 15 seconds because I get billed on Facebook only when someone watches the first 15 seconds. So here's the thing. At the beginning of that ad, I'm telling them about something outside of the ad. I am not trying to keep them in the ad itself. If they stay in the ad and they watch the whole video, they're going to be taken to someplace else, most likely my email list. They're going to be shown a different product, a different service. They're going to, there's going to be a way for them to stay in touch with me, maybe a webinar. But even if they don't watch the full 15 seconds and I don't get billed for it, they're still seeing that I have the podcast. They're still getting exposed to that. So Free in that sense, like, yes, the podcast is free, but all I'm really doing with like the giveaway stuff, as far as content is concerned, is to get people to the next step. I do not do content marketing for content marketing's sake. Uh, as I'm glad you brought up the newsletter. That That's just because I like the charity. Uh, surprisingly, that has decreased my conversion rates. I am a little upset because you is would that think- right? Really? Yeah. I, I don't know- <laughs> The reason I leave the reason I leave it up is because there's a part of me that hopes that maybe we'll revamp the copy or something and it will increase conversion rates. But it, it is pretty crazy to see that me saying, hey, I'm giving the whole first month's payment to charity has actually led to fewer people signing up. That's so weird. I, I haven't not have guessed that. that. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we're going to come back to conversion rates at the end when we're talking about LinkedIn, because just the fact that he knows that metric, I think let's revisit that topic in a bit. Um, I was listening to one of your podcasts. I, I really love this concept. You, you talked about the idea, and this is an, a niche marketing concept of being the Hulk. You got all fired up about that. I, it, was, it was fun to listen to. What does it mean to be the Hulk for a specific audience? It's more or less the idea of being a big fish in a small pond. 
if we go back to what I mentioned about follow-up and the body of evidence that suggests that the majority of people convert after um, five to t- between five and 12 touches, but you got to get to that point. If you don't have a, a target audience that can be defined, that is like, let's just say 10,000, for example, it's going to be really hard to track your follow-up and even do it in the first place. If you're a financial advisor and you target people who are age 65 and older, I don't remember the exact stat, but I think it's like 49.2 million people in the United States who are 65 and older. As a marketer, you are never, ever going to blanket those people with like your small business. I mean, you're going to have to have $100 million plus to get in front of these people. But if you have 10,000, I can do a direct mail campaign tomorrow for a dollar each. If you give me 10 grand, every single person is going to get a letter from you. That's powerful stuff. If you have a list of 10,000 people, uh, an email list of 10,000 people, you can upload them to an ad network and show your ads to those 10,000. And it'd be a lot cheaper in absolute terms to go after those people than to just pick this broad space with tons. It's like, it's like throwing a pebble in the Pacific Ocean. It doesn't make, it, make a difference at all. Yeah. So we, we talk a fair bit about niches. What's your view on is is a niche something that should almost be self-evident by the types of folks that you have historically serviced? Or can you just pick one? I mean, let's say you're a new financial professional. Can you just pick a niche out of thin air? Or, or which which is the better method? Neither. Um, that's a difficult question to answer. If you're a new financial advisor, you've got essentially, I mean, I could spend all day on this, but you just have to find a foothold. Uh, and that's actually what, that's what a, a niche is. It's just like a f- hole in the wall, like it's something you, that's what the actual definition is. So you're going to find that and grow from there. I, when you're brand, brand, brand new, I tend to recommend trying at least maybe two or three different groups because you're going to find one that you like more than the others. But that's something that's beyond the scope of this podcast. But, but is it, is it like, it's almost like it doesn't matter. Like there, there's no. some that are not, it doesn't matter. Got Doesn't it. matter. Got it. Some are better than others, and some are just naturally, because of their previous career, because of of some sort of advantage they have. Some people are going to find find it easier than other people, and some people are going to be more effective at it than other people. But you can still begin. We serve a group where there's a really wide spectrum, particularly with the idea of of digital marketing. So. I want to, I want to take kind of the concept of digital marketing, talk like 30,000 foot view. So digital marketing, we're talking about everything we've already mentioned, your website, email, uh, virtual engagements, LinkedIn videos, all of that and anything that's digitized. But if you, let's say you only have a website, if you believe in the power of digital, where would you suggest people start? I would start on LinkedIn because it opens the doors to everything else. You can build real relationships with real people. As long as you don't forget that it's a networking site, it's not a, I'm just going to log in for 15 minutes and post my content. But if you just, if you're just starting from nothing, there is an entire database of people who are waiting to be helped. And if you believe in what you do, if you understand that you're actually providing real value to the world that's tangible, I mean, there's there have been studies like Advisors Alpha that advisors quite literally provide th- more than three um, percent of value to clients. So if you're going out there and you're explaining that and you're getting that point across, 
that's where I would start. Just one foot in front of the other. Doors will begin opening for you if you build relationships. Yeah, and it's a nice transition point to to questions about LinkedIn. You uh, made a comment at one point calling LinkedIn a little bit of a gold rush phenomenon. You know, this thing came; it became the natural place for financial advisors to congregate. Talk about what you mean by that. That happened well, actually, like a year ago today. So we are recording this. I don't know if you like to date these or not, but we're recording. That's the- okay. Yeah. We're recording this one year, uh, almost to the day that, well, I think it is the day that the CDC announced that the coronavirus was a global health pandemic. When that happened and people started realizing that they had to be virtual and that they had to get clients virtually, a ton of advisors, that's a, a scientific term, actually, a ton, right? No. <laughs> they hopped on LinkedIn and just started scrambling. And it, it's almost as if someone had said, I mean, it's really what happened is that you have to go on LinkedIn. You have to get clients this way. They just threw stuff against the wall to see if it stuck. The The bad part of that is you have prospective clients and specific target markets, like everybody goes after doctors and physicians for some reason, even though the data isn't there, that they're not prodigious accumulators of wealth necessarily. Oh, that's interesting. But they um, but they just go after these people and they're like, oh my God, not another financial advisor messaging me. The good side of that is that everyone who's actually good at LinkedIn and actually builds relationships with people in a way that's not automated and scummy kind of, for lack of a better term, they stood out more than ever before. I actually got a little scared because one of the one of the products that I offer is how to get clients with LinkedIn. And that had that had been working really, really, really well since 2017. And right around la- that time last year, I was like, I think this may not work as well anymore. And I started getting scared about it. Well, it worked better as long as advisors had a target market and they just followed the system. It worked better than ever. Now we've revamped it. But the reason it worked is because of well, what I'd like to think is the contrast effect. Everyone else was just so bad because of the gold rush that the people who were who took the time and understood the pain points and understood what people wanted, they just stood out. And I was shocked. Yeah, we won't we won't get into a, a lot of questions on LinkedIn. James got a got a, a, a service that he sells on that. Check it out if you want to get some feedback on LinkedIn. But one of the things we did want you to expand on is the idea of metrics. And and you talked about this earlier. You knew exact you know exactly what your conversion rates. Talk a little bit about what you should know from a metrics perspective. So the big three are your connection acceptance rate. Now, there are a lot of strategies that you could go into, but just assuming that you're just trying to build your network and you're treating it as a networking site, you got your connection acceptance rate. So if you send 100 connection requests to people out of that 100, how many accept, then you have your appointment setting rate. So as you engage with these people, as they see your content, at whatever you decide to do, how many people end up setting appointments with you? And then out of that, it, it's up to you at this point, it's your appointment conversion rate. Your, your client conversion your rate, whatever rate. you want to call it. Essentially, mm-hmm. if you have 10 appointments, how many people are going to say yes to become a client? The good thing about something like LinkedIn is you're given someone's headline. You can see what they do. You can look at their profile. Did you go to the same school? 
Did you used to work at the same place? You can find a connection point. Almost nobody does this, even though it's on every, almost every single LinkedIn advice blog and LinkedIn course. Everybody talks about it, but no one does it. If you just reach out to them, build rapport that way, track your metrics, you will begin to see a, a pattern that can be repeated and repeated to your advantage. I was listening to a podcast. You'd interviewed a, a financial professional that's completely virtual. And then after the podcast, I reached out to him on LinkedIn, added him and, to tell him, hey, I just heard you on this podcast. He's big into traveling, which is a big part of, of my life. Um, and not only did he connect like right away, he was like, hey, so what's your favorite country? Like, what do you like to do? So that thing we had in common became a real, like, it's like, this is a guy I would like really have a beer with now that I mm -hmm. didn't even know 12 hours ago. And that's, that's what so many people miss, um, is that it, it really is just a digital networking site, but use it like you'd use a regular networking event and connect with people on a real level. Well, what's interesting is, so the college thing specifically that did this, I'm like really giving stuff away now, darn <laughs> you, but <laughs> so the college thing like the gold, but right before the gold rush thing happened, like 2017 to 2020, and that's when I was tracking it. So it may have been really good before then. I just don't know because it just wasn't tracking. If you sent someone a connection request, and like, hey, I see we both went to um, University of Delaware. It worked. And like, that's what was in the trainings and the programs and things that people pushed about LinkedIn. But when that gold rush thing happened, my hypothesis is that everybody went to all the same trainings, everybody went to all the same programs, watched the same YouTube channels and saw scripts that are like that. So now people are like, oh my God, I know what's coming. This is, there's this pitch. This is automated, something like that. So if it even seems remotely automated, and it's unfortunate because there are advisors who aren't automating it and really do want to reach out to people and be real human beings, they still say stuff like, I see we both went to LSU. That if it seems automated, it doesn't work as well anymore. So the, right. the what you just said is absolutely spot on where you reach out to Derek and you're like, hey, I heard you on this podcast. It, it, it couldn't have been automated. But that's like the shift now is it, you really do need, it takes more time. I get it. It takes more effort, but you really need to do find, need to find something that cannot be replicated with a hundred other people using a LinkedIn automation tool that's actually banned by, or against LinkedIn's terms of service anyway. So, so James, I'm going to be selfish for a minute and I just want to, I'm going to talk big picture and I'm happy. I'm happy to receive an invoice for your time later. We're <laughs> in a weird position. So I'm thinking out loud here, the financial professionals we work with would kill to be in a position where they have the contact information for everyone that they want to reach for their entire target market. We have that because we know where financial professionals sit. We have their phone numbers. We have their email addresses. If you were me, how would you think about having that information and utilizing it to your advantage? Well, first of all, you, you have to qualify people who are interested versus people who are not interested. You just have to reach out. Like I have this thing. Do you like it? Or I'm thinking about doing something that like a podcast on this topic. Is that something that interests you? Just figure out if there's interest there and then start categorizing. And then now you have, a, you can begin a sequence. You can put it in your CRM or something like reached out to Joe two months ago, wasn't interested in this. And now that informs your next touch point. You reach out to Joe, you say, Hey Joe, I know I, two months ago, I asked you about this topic. We're actually trying X now. 
is this something that you would be interested in? And you're just going to start filtering. Like people are going to come out. I mean, that's what prospecting is. It's like from gold prospecting where you shake the little pan and the gold comes out. Every time you reach out to someone, it's a little shake and more, some people are going to be interested. You do another shake, some more people are going to be interested. It's not going to happen overnight and it never does. But if you have that, you're just, that's all you need to do is just rip out the people who are interested and you work with them for a little bit and whatever you want to do, you just get more interested people. Yeah. I love that concept. That's fantastic. Uh, Maybe a concluding question for you is where are you spending most of your time these days? I mean, we talked about all the different avenues that you're that you're taking to to get your content out there what's the most critical topic is it linkedin or what's most uh pressing these days linkedin and email as like a combo because people when they're on linkedin they want to learn more about you so they go to your website and they kind of do digging and they do their own research but email is where the magic happens there are there's stat after stat like mckinsey and company email is 40 times more effective than uh, facebook and twitter combined I can't remember the exact stat, but it's more effective than uh, search engine marketing and or SEO and Facebook combined. People are more likely to sign up to your email list than they are to engage with you on Facebook. It's just so mind-blowing that even I, sometimes I can't believe it. Once you get someone on your email list and you have a sequence where you can follow up, something magical happens. And it's 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 still like a qualification mechanism because people who aren't interested and don't want to hear from you and think you're like the worst person in the world, they just unsubscribe. They take care of it for you. They get off your list for you. It's That's cool in my eyes. I mean, people yeah. will still say, oh, unsubscribes hurt. And I guess they kind of sort of do, but you are going to be qualifying people anyway. Why not do it through email? That's really interesting because I totally feel that way about email. Like for me, I, my preferred method of communication is email. But sometimes when we talk to our audience, they're like, oh man, we get a quadrillion. So is it really something that's as effective when when people have such a hard time managing it? But you're here to say, no, no, it's still it's still the right method. If you get to that point, that's really where you want to focus your energy. That's really interesting. Well, inside, we both just kind of asked out to the audience whether they prefer to get these types of communications by email or other. That's true. I got zero responses that wanted other. I know. So it's, it's uh, I mean, that just corroborates what, what James is saying, that email is king. Yeah. You know what's interesting is if you ask people what their favorite book is, they'll say something. I mean, the Bible is number one, but they'll say like, To Kill a Mockingbird. Um, they'll give you Shakespeare or something. But if you go to their house, <laughs> you look on their bookshelf, what they're actually reading tends to be a little different. Or- if you ask people, what are your what are the your favorite apps on your phone? And they try to appear a little bit more professional, like, oh, well, email, I use my calendar, I use my phone as a productivity tool. And of course, I call people and I text people. But then you look at the stats, Facebook, Facebook. or LinkedIn or <laughs> yeah. Twitter or social media. So what people say and what they do are completely different things. I've run my own in-house surveys because I'd be a terrible marketer if I didn't. <laughs> and I just... I don't believe him at this point because everyone is like, when I say, how many emails would you like to receive? People say weekly or monthly. Every single time, like weekly is the winner and then monthly and then daily. People will be like, oh, daily is way too much. I don't want daily. But they <laughs> open them and they engage yeah. with them and they respond. And it, it, what people say and what they do, it just you've got to take what people say with a grain of salt. 
Wow, that's fantastic. Man, yeah, I can't, we can't thank you so much for coming on the show. This was just uh, uh, great insight on a topic that just matters so much to our audience. So where can people find you? What's the best place to, uh, best way to find you? Theadvisorcoach.com is the website. And that will take you to, just like I said in the podcast, and like I recommend financial advisors to do, you'll see all different ways to get in touch with me and all different ways to get my role. Awesome. James, thanks so much for being on the show. We'll be right back with the Costanza Corner. This is The Whole Truth. Stick with us. And welcome back to The Whole Truth. We are in the Costanza Corner. Kurt is up for today. So, you know when you go to Dave and Buster's and they have that video game with like four or eight squares that you step on to dance, to mimic the moves that are going. Dance Dance Revolution, I believe, is the name of the game. Do you know what I'm talking about? I do, thankfully. I was like, when he started, I'm like, I'm not going to know what he's saying, but I do know, <laughs> yes. Okay. I mean, nice plug for David Busters. I mean, to, to have a few bevies and play some video games, always a lot of fun. So scientists in Europe created a regimen that put pre-dementia and Alzheimer's patients together. And it is a phase one study very early on. But the, the, the treatment was to do a version of Dance Dance Revolution for 15 minutes a day for eight weeks. And they found freaking unbelievable results that the people that were engaged in engaging their brain, not only did they slow the deterioration, they actually like increased memory capacity versus the control group that didn't. So I think there's a lot of life lessons in here, like dance more, your brain works, um, live, love, laugh, and all those cheesy posters that people put inside their house. So have fun with life and you'll probably live longer. But I just saw, I saw the, uh, I saw the headline and then I saw the video of this, you know, older person playing a version of Dance Dance Revolution, awesome. connected it with higher brain functionality um, and thought it was really cool. Yeah, so that's you great. can even watch a YouTube video. It's called Fighting Dementia with Play. So I, I think there's a lot going on with science related to that and just having people play and use creativity that's extending their, their mind lifespan. That's awesome. It's great research. I've read stuff like that as well. Um, I wonder if it's more powerful to do something that's outside of your element versus something that you're comfortable with. I'd be interested because like I read a ton. It's just, I like to read. So if I keep reading my whole life, yes, that, that, you know, makes your brain work. But I wonder if I need to be doing something that's outside of what I normally do. Cause they always talk about like the value of new experiences and muscles you haven't used. And, you know, so I wonder if that's part of it as well. I guess it is. I would venture to say it, it is, too. I mean, obviously my expert uh, clinical opinion, but you know, they talk about that with exercise, like muscle confusion. There's got to be the same That's kind right. of thing for your brain. Yeah. You got to confuse and play around with wires up there or whatever. Well, I, I appreciate on the, on the episode where I talked about damaging my head, how you helped me to fix it. So with that, thanks everyone for listening. We'll see you next time. You can find The Whole Truth and subscribe for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. We'd love it if you took the time to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts. It helps others find the show. And for more episodes of The Whole Truth, go to www.touchstoneinvestments.com slash the whole truth. That's touchstoneinvestments.com slash the whole truth. All one word. Please note that this content was created as of the specific date indicated and reflects views as of that date. It will be kept solely for historical purposes and opinions may change without notice in reacting to shifting economic, market, business, and other conditions. 
Touchstone funds are distributed by Touchstone Securities Incorporated, a registered broker-dealer and member FINRA and SIPC.